0: your first lemonade stand, you got an idea, took a risk, and a business was born. Maybe you can't get investment from mom and dad in the form of lemons anymore, but your entrepreneurial spirit is stronger than ever. You are listening to Behind the Stand. My name is Alice. I'm sitting down with the people behind Great Ventures to talk about their stories of grit, failure, and how they took lemons and turned them into successful lemonade stands. On today's show, we'll hear Melissa Kwan's story. From bankrupt to business success, Melissa used her sheer drive to move from her first job as a receptionist to selling her first company before the age of 35, and is now launching her next venture to make running webinars a breeze. What do successful entrepreneurs have in common? Maybe dropshipping dice for Dungeons & Dragons didn't make you a millionaire? (laughs) I tried. (laughs) But how do you know if you have what it takes to make it as a first-time founder? For everyone out there who's trying to turn your lemonade stand into a full-time business, the moment you go to take that big leap can seem daunting, especially if you're walking away from a stable job with a salary and benefits. Of course, there's no one simple answer, but it does come down to an overwhelming desire to create something from nothing, a desire that leaves you with no other options. It's the desire Mariana had when she quit her job the moment she got promoted to store manager because her goal has always been to start her own fashion company. It's also the desire Melissa had when she quit her stable job at SAP to start her first venture at 27. Despite having very little experience, Melissa went all-in on a problem in real estate, an area she's always been interested in since she was a kid, mesmerized by the towering buildings that surrounded her. Now you might be thinking that is a lucrative market, if you're as obsessed as I am with multimillion-dollar properties and glam agents on the Netflix show Selling Sunset. But it didn't take long for Melissa to realize that the business she was building was not scalable. She had to pivot. The success certainly didn't come overnight. At one point, Melissa only had 90 days of runway and hundreds of thousands of dollars in crippling debt. No one could bail her out. But she didn't give up. She pushed through the most difficult parts of her life to get to where she is now. She couldn't have done it without the unconditional love and support from her mom and dad, even if they showed their love the only way they knew how.
1: Uh, My mom was a stay-at-home mom and my dad worked. For a long time, I actually grew up wanting to be like my mom. I just wanted to play tennis and be a housewife. <laughs> um, I think we, we grow up to, to kind of idolize our, our parents. I think a lot of people, you know, they get into commerce or economics and they want to be an accountant or they want to be a banker. I thought I wanted to be one as well because that's what my parents told me, but nothing really stood out as something that like I wanted to be. I just wanted to, to be successful. <laughs> Like I don't even know what that means. I just like wanted to be successful, and then I remembered, you know, I wanted to be a real estate developer because I was I grew up in Hong Kong, and I remember, you know, being five years old and being in a taxi and looking up at the buildings and thinking like I, I want to build one of these buildings. I think my parents were fairly disappointed that I didn't become a professional like they wanted me to, and to a large extent, they still don't really understand what I'm doing. But you know that that's okay. <laughs>
0: Um, When you said that they're conservative, what does that mean? Were they strict? Well,
1: they wanted me to have really good grades. They weren't hard on us, but they just wanted us to have good grades. Like my parents didn't have a lot growing up themselves. So what they wanted for us was for us to have a good education. They wanted to immigrate us to Canada so we could learn English, which was probably the best decision that they made. They just wanted us to get a good, stable job like a nine to five, right? Like that's what my dad had all his life. He just wanted us to not have to worry about debt, like to not worry about paying our tuition. So we were never allowed to get jobs when we were in school. Like a lot of kids had summer jobs. Like we were like my brother and I, we were never allowed to have jobs because that was a distraction. Their intention was they didn't want us to suffer the way they did because they had to suffer, work really hard and pay their own tuition and find their way to the US to to study.
0: I think it's easy for us as adults to recognize what our parents' intentions are and that it was positive and they want the best for us. But often in that moment in time, there's so much pressure because you're standing on the shoulders of
1: your parents. Did you feel a certain pressure? Well, yeah, I think you always wanted to get them to understand and and approve what you're doing. After UBC, I wanted to be a real estate developer. Like I was in Vancouver, and I was like, okay, how do I become a real estate developer? I went to Yahoo and I typed in Vancouver real estate, and at that time, a, a sales page for One Harbor Green came out. One Harbor Green is like the at that point the most luxurious building in Coal Harbour, like in Vancouver. There was a sales page. And so I filled in the inquiry form and I asked them if they were hiring. And then I got a response back from the receptionist. She was like, yeah, we're, we're not hiring right now or um, sales manager would love to meet you. So I went in for a conversation, which I guess was an interview at the time. The sales manager there fired the receptionist that got back to me and hired me instead. I was then now the receptionist for this building, for this luxurious building. I was like super excited because I'm like, oh, luxury building. I get to learn how people sell real estate and learn how it's built. Like I was really excited for the opportunity. But my parents were like, are you kidding me? Like I sent you to UBC and you're a receptionist. But my whole life has been like that, right? Like, like I knew I was learning. They were like, why can't you just get a job at a bank? Like what's wrong with you? Like it's it's kind of like you're you're embarrassing us. But it was like that when I started my own company. It was like that when I changed companies. I always had like very lowly jobs. But in my mind, I was like, I was always learning and I was excited about that. Like money was not really a big thing to me. There was always a disconnect between what I was doing at the time because I was doing it for the future and what they saw because they didn't feel like I was living up to my full potential. Because like, what they saw was like, I was a receptionist, right? What they saw wasn't like, oh, she's learning in an industry that she wants to become something in. And so I spent a lot of time trying to get them to understand that. And then when I left SAP and I started my first company, they're like, they thought it was like a joke, right? They thought, oh, that's cute. Like, yeah, do that. And then once you get that out of your system, then you can get a real job. And then for many years, when I was struggling and trying to build my first business, like when they came to visit, their first question was always like, so when are you going to get a real job? And that's really heartbreaking because you're trying so hard and you're not succeeding. And you can get all the positive reinforcement that you can get because every day you're already telling yourself that you suck. And then your parents come over and they're like, when are you going to get a real job? I would react to that, you know, as, as most kids would. And it took years before I learned to stop reacting to it. Like I had to, I had to stop talking to my mom for two years because she was so negative and I had to stop Talking to my dad, or maybe he stopped talking to me for for a year or something like that, because he had to bail me out so many times. For them, like I was just never, I was just never taken seriously, right? Because like they their mindset is because they're so traditional, they're not entrepreneurs, right? So in their mind, they're always like, Well, you don't have any income, which is why you must not be successful, which is why you're like you're not taking your life seriously. But they never thought about it as, Oh, you are taking it seriously. That's why you're trying hard. And that's why you're paying other people and not paying yourself. For a long time, I was like, why can't you just understand me? Why can't you just be on my side? Like, I had a friend that that was like, you can't expect your parents' generation to understand you because them giving up what they had in Hong Kong and immigrating to Canada is their entrepreneurship. That is their sacrifice. And that leap is so much larger than the leap that we're trying to take right now because we don't have to immigrate. We know English. We don't have to learn. We don't have to come over and learn how to drive and learn how to set up a life that's so foreign. Like we just have it. So for us to kick and scream and say, Why don't you understand me? is the same thing as us not being able to understand the leap that our parents took. The moment I understood that was when I stopped expecting. And the moment I stopped blaming them or being angry that they couldn't understand me. So like while there were years of pressure, like I think that one perspective took all of it away. So what's your relationship with your parents like today? They're happy now. They don't ask me about work. Like I tell them, Hey, I've started a software company or I've sold my software company, but it's not a big thing to them. Like they don't understand that. In fact, like when I, told my parents that my company was acquired because I was like really excited about that <laughs> you know like it's a big deal i told my dad like hey my company was acquired the first question he asked was so exactly how much money are you going to have in your pocket like it wasn't like oh cool like congratulations like that was a yeah, big I'm so deal proud of you. yeah like yeah. he was trying to put it in a perspective that he understands and like i found it a little bit comical because he's not asking that question because he wants to know how much money i have He's asking that question because he w- he wants to gauge how okay I'm going to be for how long.
0: Mm. And that's
1: always going to be how they think.
0: Mm. Yeah. And we don't need them to approve every single yeah. choice. No,
1: exactly. Exactly. Like, it's like, I think I went from like wanting them to approve, like telling them little things and not getting it to like not even caring about it.
0: And the interesting part is that this can be probably applied to the rest of our life. We start by seeking approval from our parents, but later in life, we start seeking approval from others and mediating the relationship with our parents and understanding that it's okay to be who we are. Then perhaps later in life, we stop seeking external validation as well.
1: Yeah, that's that's for sure.
0: So you quit SAP at 27 to start your first venture. So tell me about the point where you realized entrepreneurship was way more attainable than you thought and how you got the courage to quit your job.
1: So the first comment, it's never as attainable as I think it is. It's always hard. I remember being at SAP, wanting to do my own thing. I've always done like little things on the side, like, but never that serious. I didn't realize I was an entrepreneur. I think an entrepreneur is not like what you become, right? I think it's just who you are. Like, it has to be, right? Like people that love corporate jobs and love the benefits and having stability, like they're not going to one day wake up and realize I'm going to become an entrepreneur. Like there's something like inside you that makes you curious, that makes you... Creative that makes you want to take more risk and have freedom, right? And that doesn't exist in everybody. So I think I always wanted to do something else. And I, I remember sitting at SAP and I remember like I actually I, I remember emailing my parents and saying, like, hey, I wanna start a business, I wanna quit my job. Like, what do you guys think? And and I asked them because I think at that point they were so sick of me quitting jobs. And I kind of wanted their their blessing. And and to my surprise, they were like, yeah, if you quit your job, like you, we support you. And if, if it all fails, you can always come home. I was actually shocked by that response. And now when I think about it, I'm like, Oh, I wonder if that's their way of like trying to get me to get it out of my system. (laughs) Like maybe it was, and then they didn't think I was going to actually do it, but it was that, that I quit. I remember that email. And I remember like, I saw that and I, the thing that allowed me to quit, so that was like 9 almost 10 years ago and I went through some really hard years. I think if you don't have to become an entrepreneur like you wouldn't. Like it's something that you feel like you must do otherwise like you can no longer keep going. Right? Like you you will no longer be happy. You this is something you must do and If you don't have that fire inside of you, like you're just going to go back to get another another job because it's super easy. It's not so much like I realized it was attainable, like it just realized like there was nothing else I'd rather do. And it's
0: kind of refreshing how your relationship with your parents came full circle as they were always judging you for keeping a steady job. And it was them who gave you the courage to quit SAP and start your first company.
1: Yeah, I don't know if they remember that though, <laughs> because they were probably like, oh, cute email. <laughs> Let's tell her she can do anything. But then the whole, like, you know, conflict came years after that, or you know, because they were like, okay, are you done? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, what happened after you started Flat World?
1: Yeah, what happened was I had a lot of crazy ideas that didn't come to fruition, but I worked on probably five to 10 ideas that didn't work before we finally came up with a product that people would pay for. But that was probably a two-year journey. Wow! I saved up a bunch of money and I thought, oh, this would last me for two years, but it really only lasted me like six to nine months maybe. Uh, I was just too green. like I didn't know how to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know what it meant. So I just had a lot of hard lessons and burned a lot of money and had to borrow a lot from my parents and Lost that as well. Like there was just a a lot of hardships that, you know, ups ups and downs, of course. We finally found a a product that, you know, people would pay for. But the first product turned into an agency where, you know, we offered um, a sales tool for for pre sale. So walking into a sales center for a real estate building, instead of getting a, a paper brochure, we were the iPad interactive brochure and sales tool. So some companies pay for it, not a lot. But the problem was we, set out to sell a product. And then everyone wanted to customize. So before you knew it, we were a custom apps company. I didn't even know that that company turned into an agency until I was having drinks with a friend. And he was like, Oh, so you're running an agency. I'm like, no, I'm not. What do you mean? I'm running a product company. And he's like, well, do you build custom apps? I'm like, yes. He's like, well, that's an agency. <laughs> so it's like, Oh crap. Like I do have an agency and that's not a good business. Cause I was always chasing the sale and then chasing the invoice that product we built under flatworld but we evolved it into my next company which was spacio because i realized like i can't spend my life cold calling and chasing invoices and then chasing the next deal so we have to build a product that we own that we sell to everyone else like it's better to build a 20 dollar product and have 10,000 customers than to have 10 customers that pay you 20,000
0: was that hard to pivot
1: it was awesome to be able to repurpose my experience into something that i had domain expertise in. so the hard part was not letting something go and building something new i think that's always exciting the hard part was building the product itself like getting to a point where someone will put in their credit card and pay for your product like that leap is extremely difficult and that was actually the hardest thing that i had to do up to that point because even for an agency i can sell you a product like you you get the benefits immediately you're paying me to build something for you but for Spacio, it was like, okay, how do we build a product where people will put in their credit card? And then you, you kind of have to like innovate and adjust your product up to that point. Like that that took two like probably two years before we got the first credit card. That gave us like $15. And that's kind of your product market fit there. Well, that's the beginning, right? The product market fit is, I don't think we ever found product market fit actually for for the first product. Like we, we built a business, we built a really great business out of it, but until you're growing at, I think 10% month over month, or maybe, I don't know what the metrics are. Let's say 30 to 50% year by year, like you don't have product market fit. Like we had a great business but people weren't coming without me selling to them. How do you iterate
0: on what you had before and know that Spaceo was going to be the product that you move forward with?
1: I did a lot. So I spent three years in a real estate business. So I worked for real estate developers and then I also had my agent license. So I did like resales. I I did open houses like every weekend for a couple of years. When I was looking at where people were not spending time, like where startups were not spending time in the real estate space. Like there was tons of CRMs, tons of social media and ads and automated marketing. But when I looked at open houses, there was like one little tiny app that existed on the app store. Like there was nobody. And certainly there was nobody creating an open house app for brokerages, for franchises, like for the enterprise. And enterprise sales is my background. It's what I know. We set out to be like the like real estate application for open houses built for the enterprise. Like that's kind of where the idea came in. And I I was familiar with open houses because I, I did them for years. So I knew the inefficiencies that, that were there because of pen and paper. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I used a pencil.
0: <laughs> did your first job as a receptionist, did those learnings ever come into use?
1: You know, I, I, no one's asked me that question, but... Yes. So I had a sales manager, my boss at the time. She was like my idol. Like, she spoke so many languages. She was so well spoken. She was like so eloquent, like, she was so articulated. And I got to observe the way she deals with clients, the way she greets them. And I think a a lot of that probably rubbed off on me. And there were certain things that I learned that I still do today you know, how do you answer the phone or how do you speak to people like, you know, in in a business, in a business sense. But also like, she always taught me to write everything down because people always go back on their word or they try to. So even when you have a conversation, you send an email as a summary. So actually that's one thing that I never think about anymore, but I do very naturally. And that's when I learned it.
0: So you mentioned it was really hard for you to get funding for Space CO. You were working on it for over five
1: years. Can you just walk me through your experience trying to raise money? I mean, I put in a lot of my own money to, to kickstart the company. I raised a little bit of money from like family and friends. And then when that ran out, I had to figure out how to raise capital from people who weren't related to me. So that was really hard. I think part of part of why it was hard to raise money, I like maybe it's because I'm female, maybe it's because I'm Asian. I don't know. Like I, I will never know because that's I've only been an Asian female. But I also think that it was hard because the product was not the right product. Spacio is a product that's only for North American real estate agents, but really just the U.S. and then only a subset of of agents will ever do open housing. And then the subset of those will ever like touch technology. So from a total addressable market point of view, it it literally cannot get any smaller. So investors don't like that. And I didn't have experience raising capital. So, and I was also, I was in New York at the time already. So I was like surrounded by people who were really good at it and telling stories that I wanted to mimic, but didn't fit my model. Like they were, they were building companies that were scalable. I wasn't. As a result, though, I was always very revenue focused. So like we didn't have a choice. Like we had to figure out how to make money so we could pay our team. And I, I firmly believe, and I still believe, that the most important person that has to give you money is your customer. Investment does not mean you have a good business model. It just means someone's willing to take a chance on you. It doesn't mean you figured it out. No one's money is more important than the customer. I remember when we had 90 more days in, we we had 90 more days and, and we were just running out of money. I wasn't living in New York and I had to get a job. Like I, I already, like my parents weren't talking to me anymore. Like nobody could bail me out. Like I was in so much personal debt. Like I had like taken out a loan, you know, with the bank against my own name. I had 90 days left and I thought to myself, like, what am I going to do? So for those 90 days, I just told myself, like, I was going to leave no stone unturned. I was going to talk to anyone who would talk to me I was going to ask literally everyone for money including my family and friends like I wasn't like I was not going to let this thing die and if it did I was not going to regret not doing something for those days I woke up and that's what I did I took every single call anyone who would talk to me it was pretty intense actually I I have a friend that was in my same co-working space at the time and every time I see her I'm like man I still remember like she didn't know I made this promise to myself She saw me and she was like, what is up with you? So, but eventually like someone took a chance in us. It was a private investor took a chance in us, gave us 250K. Another private investor followed and gave us hundred K. That was really all the money we raised. And that changed the company. Like, because at that point we had some customers, not enough to, to know we were doing the right thing, but enough to know we want to keep going. So with that money, we paid off some debt. We hired an extra person. Within that year, we 10 times our revenue. It was hard, but eventually someone did take a chance on us.
0: Would you have invested in your own company if, if it
1: was the other way around? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Flatworld was my first company, but Spacio was really my first company. It's my first product company, right? It's my first SaaS company. Like I learned everything through it. So the outcome was great. Like I mean, we found a great acquirer, everybody made money. Like I mean, I, I think in the in the realm of investing, sometimes if you don't lose money, it's already a great outcome. <laughs> but no, I I would not have. So
0: why do you think that they took a chance on you?
1: I think in that case, in my case, it was probably me. I'm actually not sure. Like I never really asked that question. But I think it's because it's me. I think they knew I was going to figure it out. Like I was not going to like abandon ship. And and that was probably most important.
0: And that re- really resonates with me because I want to focus on the people and, and their stories. Ideas will change, but it's really the perseverance and how you did not give up even though you were in debt. That's a really important lesson for everyone. It's funny that you say that for your mentor in your first job that you looked up to, she was very well articulated. I really admire how confident, intelligent, and self-assured you are. Was there ever a time you doubted your voice, nervous, or stumbled over your words?
1: Yeah, every day. (laughs) Well, first, thanks for that compliment. It's like a really big compliment to to take in right now. But yeah, absolutely. Every day, I, I still get nervous before every sales call. And I've done it so many times. Or like when a customer wants to talk to me, I'm like, why? (laughs) <laughs> like, did I do something wrong? Okay, but it's okay, right? It's okay to to be afraid and, and to be scared and to be nervous, but just don't live in it. Like, I, I feel that and then I can shake it off.
0: One of my favorite quotes is from Ferris Bueller. He says, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you're going to miss it. How do you balance between doing what you love and working really hard with living your life to the fullest.
1: I've only started to do some of that in the past two years, but I couldn't live my life because I was trying to survive. I was trying to pay the bills and make payroll and make sure that people are going to continue to build a product because they are not going to if I don't pay them. And then I have to find the sale. Like I'm just constantly just trying to do something. And like so many friendships and relationships were were lost and not nurtured because I was in survival mode. And not the luxury to, to enjoy my life. And so I made a promise to myself that when my company, when Spacio would, would break even, that I would start to think about like, my own well-being and what would make me happy. And so as soon, that, as soon as that happened, which was about three years ago, I started to ask myself, if this is going to be hard, I want to choose where I wake up in the morning to do this. And so that was when I gave up my place in New York to just travel full-time. After Spacio was sold, I started eWebinar a couple months after. And the question I never asked myself before, because I didn't have the experience to, was what kind of lifestyle do I want to lead? And then I thought about different businesses that I could start that fits that. I think I suffered a lot with Spacio because I built a business because I thought I needed to, because I thought, oh, that's where my area of expertise is. And then I forced my lifestyle to fit that. But it wasn't authentically me and I suffered all the time because I, I just hated what I was doing. It didn't like it didn't reflect who I was. So I'm glad that after nine years of building two other companies, I'm able to finally apply my experience and my learnings into Spacio, but also what I know about how important it is to also live your life.
0: That's so powerful. A few questions I used to wrap up every podcast. What is one piece of advice, book, resource that every company builder should be aware of?
1: One of my best pieces of advice that I received is don't marry your own idea. It's important to have conviction in what you do, but not so much that you refuse to listen. The Alchemist is, is one of my favorite books. I've probably read it 20 times at least the ultimate journey of, of going to like seek your dreams, right? I think it's important to read the presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. Even if you're not in sales, it's really important to understand how sales work and how human psychology works. Like it's so cliche, but founders should make sure they have fun. Just because you're, you work harder doesn't mean you're better. It doesn't mean you're doing more work. It doesn't mean you're working smarter. Yes, you should work hard, but that's not, it's not a positive thing, right? Being busy is not a positive thing. I think the last thing is to ask yourself, what kind of lifestyle do you want to lead? Because if you do not build a company that fits that lifestyle, it will be a very, very painful journey.
0: I cannot agree more. Who in the Vancouver entrepreneur community would you like to tag next to be on the podcast?
1: So I think there's two actually. So one is Greg Smith from Thinkific. He's built a really great company. I mean, I knew Greg before. He built Thinkific. We were in the same co-working space and I remember him, you know, driving out to film someone so they could he could put their course on Thinkific. And, you know, that's an awesome company now, I think it's like one of the best companies to work for in, in BC, and it's constantly voted to be one of the work, best workplaces. And he's not out there very often. But I think he's he's built a really good company. And, and it's just run by a really good group of people. Um, and it's really one of the biggest success stories in here locally. Um, and actually, the other one is Greg Mulpass. He's one guy that's really never out there. Uh, And I think it would be really beneficial for people to hear from him.
0: I would be super intimidated to talk to my former CEO, but yeah, it would be valuable. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Last but not least, I would love to shine the light back on you. Where can people find you? What are you working on now?
1: So people can find me on on LinkedIn, uh, Melissa Kwan. Happy to connect what I'm working on is a company called eWebinar. Uh, we started it a year and a half ago, a couple months after we sold Spatio. Um, and eWebinar is a product that I wish existed when I was growing my previous SaaS company. So what eWebinar is, it's an automated webinar solution. We combine pre-recorded video with live chat and real-time interactions to consistently deliver an engaging experience for attendees without you having to be there.
0: That's awesome. Maybe you'll be hiring interns soon from (laughs) UBC. I hope so. (laughs) I'm always looking. (laughs) Hey, thanks for listening to the show this week. If you want to listen to previous episodes, subscribe to our newsletter, or give me feedback, you can go to BehindTheStand.com. I can't wait to hear from you. I'm Alice, and you're listening to Behind the Stand Podcast.